the Athletes in the Arts podcast, hosted by Stephen Karaginas and Yasi Ansari. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Athletes and the Arts podcast. I'm Stephen Karaginas, along with Yasi Ansari, and thank you for making time to listen to our show. If you like what you hear, feel free to leave a review or tell some friends. Our show is proudly brought to you by School Health, a national full-service provider of health supplies and services to professionals in educational settings from preschool to college. To learn more, go to schoolhealth.com. Or you can visit www.athletesandthearts.com to learn more about school health or get other resources for performing arts medicine. There's lots to find there at athletesandthearts.com. Okay, so today we spend our time focusing on the New Orleans Musicians Clinic. This is a clinic that was started in 1998 to service the needs of musicians in New Orleans, and it's a one-of-a-kind place. They are a part of the Athletes in the Arts initiative. In fact, they were there right in the very beginning when we launched 10 years ago. They are the only low or no-cost comprehensive medical clinic specifically dedicated to performing artists in the United States. They have a special mission to help prevent hearing loss and try to raise awareness to musicians about the potential for hearing loss throughout their career. So we invited a few of the folks to come on to our show and talk more about it. On the show today are Taylor Cohen, Public Health Director, Kaylee Falls, Community Outreach Director, Musician Ingoma Numu Jordan, and Dr. Marshall Chasen, Director of Research and Chief Audiologist of the Musicians Clinics of Canada. We have a full house here tonight, which is so exciting. Um, thank you all for being here with us. Let's start with Taylor and Kaylee. Can you guys tell us a little bit about the New Orleans Musicians Clinic? Yeah, sure. Um, well, first off, thanks for having us. Mm-hmm. Um, my name's Taylor, I'll say that since folks can't see that it's me. Um, we work for the New Orleans Musicians Clinic Foundation, which is a full comprehensive medical center that provides healthcare to musicians, artists, culture bearers of all kinds. So, um, in New Orleans, that could look really different. It could be a Mardi Gras Indian. It could be a dancer. It could be a singer. It could be a drummer. Um, it could be a server. There are a lot of performers of all different kinds in New Orleans that um, wear many hats and contribute to the culture. So we're just trying to keep them alive and thus preserving the the culture of the city and the art that it has. Um, so we have the clinic, brick and mortar comprehensive medical center. Um, and then we kind of have the assistance foundation side of things, which is more a nonprofit side, uh, community outreach programming, prevention efforts, Um, so I'm the public health director and I try and prevent people from having to go to the clinic through outreach. One of those things being, um, hearing loss prevention, which we're here to talk about today, which is super important. Mm -hmm. And, um, Kaylee, I'm so grateful to recently have Kaylee's help with that program. So how does your clinic work as far as musicians wanting to get healthcare? Is it, uh, how do you raise money? How does a musician get into your clinic to be treated? That's a great question. Um, it's really complex. Uh, I, I've been working for the clinic for seven years now. It used to be 
I would bring out paperwork. Sometimes it started off with a clipboard, you know, and I would just get people's contact information, connect them with Megan, our social worker. Um, she would help them apply for Medicaid if they were eligible. SNAP, all, all the government assistance if they're eligible and um, work with really the onboarding and the in initial intake. Um, but yeah, financially, I guess it's, it's everything. It's private donations. It's, um, us being written into people's wills. Um, it's mm. grants, a lot of grant money. We recently got a grant from Gilead to work, focus on breast cancer prevention. So, yeah. So if a musician needs care and they just have like, they're down on their luck, no money, no gigs at this moment. Uh, you're able to take care of them. You have uh, a build, you have financial support and and social support to help take care of them. I mean, we certainly don't have like an endless supply of money to to pay everyone's rent all the time, you know. But we do have an emergency fund for sure. our patients for emergencies. And yeah, I mean, we don't turn anyone away from our clinic if they need medical assistance, um, regardless of insurance status, ability to pay race, ethnicity, gender, whatever. So with Save No Sounds, how long has it been going? Sure. So um, we have a lot of different community programs. Uh, Save No Sounds is just one of the many. Um, but we've been focusing on hearing loss prevention in a lot of different ways for a while. So for example, um, I helped start You Got This, which is our mental health and suicide prevention program. And... Mm -hmm. Uh, tinnitus or tinnitus is a real big issue that a lot of our patients face where constantly there's sounds that aren't necessarily there and it really impacts your overall well-being, which impacts your mental health, of course. And mm -hmm. a lot of these issues that we um, talk about with artists involve mental health, but then you know, sometimes they branch outward and uh, there's overlap in all of these, all of these topics, which, and different intersections, which is why it's so interesting, but why it's so complex as well to um, approach. So we started, we decided it needs its own program and um, started Safe Sounds, which was our hearing loss prevention program. First one, first, first round, Safe Sounds 1.0. And then basically we got in trouble with the, noise ordinance at the city it wasn't really we got in trouble but basically we were giving everyone our statistics and raising hell you know civil disobedience we were saying people need mm -hmm. to care about about this topic um because it's not only affecting the artists it's affecting the servers it's affecting like you said the dancers the uh front of house back of house uh, people all around choreographers it's it's impacting a lot of folks and people don't think about it don't wear ear protection um and they basically took our stats and turned it on us and and then filed a noise ordinance with the city and basically said okay then don't play loud music and try to close music and we're like music isn't necessarily noise there's a difference between allowing artists to make money and gig and fund their career and um, have standards, public health prevention standards when it comes to hearing loss in venues. So I'll right. shut it off. 
So are there different stages to hearing loss? I mean, I'm, this is not my area of expertise. So I'll be coming in asking a variety of questions where it feels like it could be obvious, but it may not be. But are there different levels of hearing loss? Like when does someone as a musician know um, that they need help and support? Is it just the ringing in the ear? Like what, what's the first sign that I need some extra support when it comes to my hearing? I honestly feel like I'm I'm not necessarily the best person to ask. I was going to pass it to Dr. Jason, but I, I was going to say, I hope that if we, you don't get there. Like, I want prevention. I want people to wear ear, ear protection so they don't get, have to get to that point, but where they're saying what, what every second. Um, but yeah, please take it away, Marshall. Thank you, Taylor. Hearing loss is a very slow, gradual process. It takes many, many years to show up. Um, usually you can go to a gig or go to a loud concert. Your ears may be ringing for uh, you know, 18, 20 hours after, but that's a temporary issue. Enough of those, and it does over time become permanent. But it's actually incredible how poor humans are at discerning what is damaging versus what is not damaging. Mm -hmm. We're great as mammals. All mammals are great. We can discern differences in frequency or pitch. We know when something is sharp or something is flat, but we really are lousy at loudness. So for example, we know that anything over 85 decibels, decibel being the unit of, of that we can measure with a sound meter, anything over 85 decibels, if you listen to it long enough, can eventually cause some hearing difficulty. But 85 decibels is not loud. A dial tone on a telephone for those that have landlines is 85 decibels. Another example of let's say you're not feeling very well and you're, you're vomiting in a toilet and you go to flush the toilet, that's 85 decibels. Now, that may sound loud because you're not feeling very well, but nobody, you don't <laughs> run away in horror at 85 decibels. It happens every day around us, um, but it's prolonged exposure to the 85. So it's not just the sound level in decibels, but how long you're exposed to the sound. So it's much like a, a radiation dose. Nothing wrong with getting an x-ray. Just don't get an x-ray every moment of the day and every day of the week mm -hmm. and every week of the month. Mm -hmm. It's the dosage that counts. So it turns out that we can be exposed to 85 decibels, not that loud, for 40 hours a week. After about a year, we might be able to measure a hearing loss. But that's the very same thing for 88 decibels, for only 20 hours a week. In other words, a slightly higher level up to 91 now for only maybe 10 hours a week, 94 for five hours a week. So it's it's not only how loud something is, but it's the dose, how long we're exposed to it. And so we want to keep below 100% of the dose. Music, of course, is one of them, but going home in a noisy convertible, let's say, and people honking their horns and mowing the lawn and listening to our own music, all these things together can contribute to the dose. Uh, but but I think that Taylor uh, and Kaylee are quite right in the sense that we want to make sure that they can hear 30 years from now, not just prevent what's happening today. So prevention really is the cue, uh, the, the important element. So in Goma, you're a musician performing in these environments all the time. From your perspective, um, how concerned are your fellow musicians uh, about hearing loss and how difficult is it to avoid these exposures? 
Um, <clears throat> a lot of them aren't, uh, I don't think a lot of them are really aware like that. Um, you know, I see a lot of musicians who don't wear any, any earplugs or anything like that. Um, I mean, I would love to like, you know, bring, give, bring more awareness to them, but some guys, they're just like, you know, oh, it's fine. Others are like, you know, yeah, I know I need to wear some, but they still don't. And then, um, you know, then you have some guys just like me, and then, you know, they walk around with their earplugs, you know, on their keychains and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Is it an attitude sometimes where, like, sometimes it's just like, you know, I'm tough, I'm cool, I'm a, I'm a musician, I'm rocking out, I'm playing all the time, I don't need protection, I'm young. Is it, like something like, is it more like the... Like just the attitude. Um. Yeah. With some some guys, some guys is just they just play. You know, they don't even really think about that part with their ears and stuff like that. Mm. They just play. Even at even at because I you know I I like going to concerts and if I can like be backstage and stand on stage for the show and even being a spectator on the stage is still loud. You know, and. Yeah. Some guys, you know, especially drummers, they're like, man, I, it's, it's fine. I like that attack. Like, I like hearing, you know, hearing that natural sound and that raw sound of the stage and stuff, which I do too. But, yo, it's, it, it's loud. <laughs> <laughs> There's a drum, you know, we got drums and stuff on stage. Um, but even uh, some guys that uh, now, you know, now we have uh, the in ear monitors that guys are wearing now. But the thing is, with it, even with in-ear monitors, some guys have their their headphones blasting even with the in-ear monitors in. It was like that kind of defeats the purpose of you having <laughs> the in-ear monitors if you're going to have it like just blasting in here, you know? Right, 105 decibels blasting in your ear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I plugged in or put on in some guy's lines, and I'm just like, how? Why? You might as well not wear these if you're <laughs> right. In Goma, did you always wear um, like a like a an aid in the? In, what, I don't even know what what do we? Call no, it? I didn't hear monitor. An ear no. monitor, but like, what did it take for you to realize that it was important? And and how old were you when you were like? Were you a young like? Were you in your teens when you were like? I need to start wearing a monitor in my yeah. ear. No. So, all right. So, you know, um, it, so I was in the marching band in high school. Okay. Got so, it. <laughs> you know, it's, and I played snare drum and, you know, and it's just, the drum itself is just loud. So we got from there and then up to, I started playing drums professionally at 18 mm -hmm. from there. So sometimes even now, I, I, sometimes I won't wear ear protection, especially if, just something like if it's just me in the room and I just need to just express myself and get it in, I'll sometimes I won't wear ear protection, although I know I need to. Um, but yeah, going up through through high school, being in a band, I didn't wear any protection all five years that I marched in the band. Um, it wasn't until, I don't know, I just got to a certain point where I just started looking for better ear protection because after a while I started wearing earplugs, you know, the ones you mm -hmm. got to do all this to and stick deep in your ears. But the thing was that will block out too much noise. So I would 
I was like always like constantly looking for something to use until one day I went to Ray Francis Drum Center and I forgot the, the name of these earplugs that they had, but they uh, they had them. And when I was talking to the guys, you know, Frank and Woody and uh, and Ray, you know, they were telling me that uh, Woody was telling me that he uses them on his gigs. And what it does, it actually just drops the music, uh, drops the music or the stage level down a few decibels. So it doesn't completely like wipe it out. And that's what I started using. And from then, I was like, yo, this is perfect. I feel like I still have my hearing after I finish playing. And I feel like it doesn't really take away because you can still feel the music. Uh, you know, I can still feel myself hitting the cymbal and hear it, but it takes away that initial attack mm-hmm. you know, on my and, on your ears. And hit and against your eardrum. Yeah, that hit against your eardrum. It takes that away. So um, I guess you could say that's like how I, I, I got to it, you know. And even going to concerts, too. I realized that going to concerts, because I love yes. going to concerts and shows, you know, even being in the, in the audience, and then I get home, and it's, it's like, yeah. just in, yeah. the, in the crowd, like. <laughs> Marshall? I think Nagoma has outlined or underlined or underscored a very important point in that more is not necessarily better. Uh, uh, hearing protection that just takes the edge off music that is the same for the bass notes, the treble notes as well, so equal throughout the whole piano range, that's the ideal. And in fact, in 1988, the first pair came, maybe the ones that you're referring to, called the ER-15, manufactured by a company called Etymotic Research, hence the name ER. And the 15 decibel reduction means that, if you like math, you could be exposed 32 times as long before the same damage occurs without the hearing protection. And it's incredible, excuse me, it's incredible how quiet, uh, um, how minimal, I guess is a better way of saying it, a 15 decibel reduction. So it's the way I'm talking right now, maybe versus the way I'm talking right now. It's noticeable, but it doesn't take away the subtleties of what you need to hear. The last thing we want to do, especially with a drummer, is fit them with a full shell industrial strength earplugs because Nogoma is going to lose his monitoring ability, start hitting the rim shot really loud because he can't hear it, and then come into the clinic with wrist and arm problems. And so we, we want to have that, that beautiful balance between proper monitoring as well as hearing protection. And that's what the people at the New Orleans clinic and also other musicians clinics such as mine in Canada, the musicians clinics of Canada want to do. We don't want too much hearing protection, but we don't want too little hearing protection either. Yeah. So some of those uh, ear earplugs uh, I see in the market, the high fidelity earplugs, are those the kind of things you're talking about? Like uh, heroes and like vibes. So where they just yeah. basically lower the decibels, but keep the high frequencies coming through. Yeah. yeah. There's Training another company called uh, Eargasm. Sorry. Well, I said there's another company called Eargasm. Ah, okay. And they have, you. I mean, you can pick from an array of it. They have earplugs for people who go to concerts, earplugs for musicians. Like, it's, you know, they have specific ones for specific uh, things and what you're doing with that with that particular company. There, so, what? Many, sorry, many manufacturers, though, 
uh, do market an earplug that they market to musicians, but they're not for musicians. And so you have to be very careful, such as Heroes, for example. They have a large air hole going through them. Essentially, they allow the lower bass notes to get through unaffected, but they lessen or attenuate the whole right-hand side of the piano keyboard. And for mm -hmm. something like a drummer, that can be useful to attenuate or lessen the, the irritation of the cymbal in the hi-hat and the rim shot. But most high-fidelity earplugs are intended to be flat or uniform, whether it's any, it has the same effect on the left-hand side of the piano keyboard as it does on the right-hand side of the piano keyboard. So you have to be very careful about that. So then on the one end, you have those kinds of earplugs that are like $15, $20, $25. At the other end of the spectrum, you have like, like ones that are custom molded for performers too, right? Are those... Uh, for the average gigging musician, are those feasible to afford? Are, how expensive do those go? The one-size-fits-all size, you can get some very nice earplugs for like $15 or $20, mm -hmm. uh, such as the, um, again, from Metamodic Research, as an example, the ER20XS, which is a very good one. There's another one that's come out recently called the Minuendo, which is a little bit more expensive. But when you get up into the custom-made mold where you visit an audiologist, an impression is taken of the ears, and after a week they actually get the earplug, such as the ER15, for example, uh, you're looking at about $300 out of pocket for that. But that should last you 20 or 30 years. I got my pair made in 1992, and that's well, that's over 30 years, and I'm still using that same pair that I put out for in 1992. So yes, it is an expenditure, but I think it's well worth it. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and something that I always love to tell people that I'm really proud of is our patients at the Musicians Clinic can request a referral from our primary care physician for custom molded earplugs and all they have to pay, I think it's t between 10 and $20 copay um, to get a pair of custom molded earplugs through the New Orleans Speech and Hearing Center. So um, I think that really also highlights the importance of partnerships with other organizations and efforts that are working towards uh, hearing loss prevention. Kaylee, how challenging is it to spread the word about hearing loss? Um, I would have to say it's it's been, it's been hit or miss. Um, I feel like a lot of the older musicians feel as though, oh, I've already lost my hearing, or they feel um, anxious or scared to share that with fellow band members um, at a risk of losing, you know, their their gig or their opportunities. Um, I have been receiving a lot of positive feedback um, about this initiative from DJs and sound mm. guys in particular, which actually surprised me, but it makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so a part of what we want to do is we want to set up workshops um, kind of geared towards like a general musician one, one for composers, one specifically for like brass bands, you know, at this point oh. in New Orleans. Um, and then we want to do one for DJs and sound guys. Um, and the goal really is to just empower the artists, especially some artists who might not be well versed in the technical side of like sound production. Um, and so I'm hoping that these workshops really educate um, and empower the artists that come. 
Awesome. Yeah, it almost sounds like more DJs and musicians, like they just, like the people who are in the center of it all need to share their own experiences and how using these resources are helping them protect their hearing health. Um, it feels like that's really, it almost feels like that's the only way. One of the biggest ways, at least, is like someone who's in it to express how important it is to protect your ears, right? Exactly, because at the end of the day, like me going to a concert or the consumers, they can be there by choice. Mm-hmm. You know, for the musicians, it's their occupation, it's their job. And so it can become a hazard to them. So the goal is to really empower them, um, you know, with preventative methods, educate them on like the right language to use when speaking to a sound guy to be say, this is what I want, this is the sound I would like to hear. Um, mm-hmm. And I think once we have that, you would really start to see um, a change happening overall. Hopefully that will then transition to venue owners to get proper sound systems and to hire sound guys who know what they're doing and knowing um, what your venue can what your venue can hold. You know, some venue, okay, this place is good for a singer-songwriter. This place has a sound system equipped for more of a club style. You know, this sound place is good for brass bands. You know, I think all of that is important. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Founded in 1957, School Health Corporation has been dedicated to helping school-based health professionals keep their students healthy for athletic performance. As a national full-service provider of health supplies and services, School Health's comprehensive offerings include hydration supplies to prevent heat illnesses, sports medicine, recovery and rehabilitation equipment, and school safety infographics for our athletes and the arts community. School Health provides more than just products and resources for performing artists and musicians. They also offer training, advisory services, and exceptional customer care for those supporting performers on school campuses. For more information, please visit www.schoolhealth.com. And now back to our show. So in Goma, how long have you been playing drums? Since like three or four years old, for like 30 years. So then can you, do you, can you tell that you have like a loss of sensitivity at all with uh, listening to music? Uh, do you find yourself noticing differences in how you hear? Yeah, now my ears are very sensitive. So I have... For example, like I have a friend of mine and he'll come in the car, he'll hop in the car and he'll be like, yo, check out this music I just put on. And he'll crank the music and I'll be like, yo, man, don't be the music that I hear the song. Uh, Even stuff as like simple as like I was just in New York and just stuff as simple as like the, uh, you know, the the ambulance and like those type of sounds. I have to like close my ears Mm -hmm. when the ambulance is coming by. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I, my ears are very sensitive now, you know. So, you know, there's a number of sounds, a number of times, even if I don't have my earplugs on me, I have to, you know, do that to, to protect my ears. Okay. Marshall? Yeah, you got something, Doc? <laughs> well, one of the first signs of hearing loss is not so much ringing in the ears, not so much not being able to hear the consonant sounds, but the reduced tolerance, the increased 
sensitivity. So when hearing loss occurs, not only do sounds have to be a little bit louder before you could hear them, but also the loudest sound that you could hear or tolerate becomes reduced. So sounds that were not bothersome 10 or 15 years ago, those same sounds are more bothersome. So that's one of the earlier signs of, of auditory or hearing related problems. But that's not to say you have a hearing loss per se, but, that, but I'm glad that you're wearing the hearing protection, that's for sure. Yeah. So, go ahead. Marshall, I was going to ask for the average person, are there any hearing sensitivity tests out there? Like, is there an app for this? There, there are a number of them, actually, which are very good. Um, it, it's funny, there, there's a, the, the Food and Drug Administration in the United States recently approved a new type of hearing aid that can be sold called an over-the-counter hearing aid, or OTC for short. And that's for people with very mild hearing losses. Uh, once the hearing loss gets a little bit more than mild, they, they better see an audiologist. But as part of the people accessing OTC, a lot of apps have sprung up in the marketplace to test hearing, to, to give some estimate of hearing. Some of them actually are fairly good. Maybe not for the very, very low bass notes because the room sometimes is a little bit noisy and that would cover or alter. But in the mid and higher frequencies, they're fairly accurate. So um, many people can just type in OTC or over-the-counter hearing aids and they can actually do a kind of a self-test through that manufacturer. And some of the manufacturers are very large, uh, Sony, Bose, these are large audio uh, industry people that are now involved in the over-the-counter hearing aid market, and they've developed hearing testing apps that are fairly close to what you'd get in an audiology clinic. So th th that's a good screening test that they could use. So, Doc, let's talk about then, like, treatment and handling this. So, like, acutely, uh, Ngoma goes and does a gig. Uh, he's buzzing afterward, goes sees a concert buzzing afterwards, are there things you can do acutely after you're exposed to a loud amount or a large amount of decibels per hour um, that you can, like, does it help to like protect your ears for 24 to 48 hours? Can you recover a little bit from that? Um, what should folks do? Cause like one of the things that I worry about is our kids that go to like four day in a row concerts or six day in a row uh, convent, dance conventions where they're exposed to sound for hours and hours every, every single day. So does it benefit someone to have uh, auditory rest after a loud exposure? And something I want to add to that is these days, everyone has AirPods in their ears. Like everyone's walking around with earphones all the time. That's true. In including myself sometimes. I like want to walk with music playing at all the times, right? But I don't think that's necessarily the healthiest. Well, built into these questions are the answers. Of course, moderation is a very important element. If you go to a gig on Friday night, don't mow your lawn on Saturday. Or better still get someone else to do it for you. Uh, there's no given number of how long you should rest. Uh, there's a lot of literature on this, and they haven't really come up with a definitive answer. But we do know that after a loud gig, your hearing may be down for 16 to 18 hours after the loud gig. And okay. the ringing or the tinnitus may even last a little bit longer. So as a rule of thumb, 16 to 18 hours seems to be a bare uh, minimum. 
while we're actually talking about portable noise, like listening to music, our own music, there's something called the 80-90 rule, which also talks about moderation. 80% volume for 90 minutes a day, that will give you one half of your daily dose of noise exposure. So you're listening to your favorite song, comes on, turn up the volume, enjoy it thoroughly, just turn it back down below 80% after. If you're listening for more than 90 minutes a day, an hour and a half a day, maybe you shouldn't, and maybe that's antisocial. But you have to be your own measuring stick. So if you're going to be listening to music longer than 90 minutes a day, 8 out of 10 volume, you, you better be very careful that night. You should double up on hearing protection. Maybe you shouldn't go to that rock concert that night. Maybe go the next night. Also, there are some something called chemical earmuffs. How's that for a, a phrase? And mm -hmm. it refers to a bunch of medicines or pharmaceuticals you could take, some before, some after, that can mitigate or lessen the effects of music or noise exposure. One of them we've all known, we've all heard the terminology of, it, of an antioxidant. Antioxidants can be very important for our body, not just our hearing, um, but there's one in particular that's actually been demonstrated to be very useful to mitigate the effects of loud music or loud noise on hearing called LNAC, L-N-A-C, and many health food stores take it, sell it rather. The, the, the problem with LNAC is that it's not clear on what the dosage should be. And with so many of these antioxidants, dose is very important. The FDA is currently in, in the process of phase three trials, which is the final phase trial to make sure that there's no downside and there's no risk. Uh, and there's one called Epsilon that's been going through the uh, system. And it's been shown that the right dose of Epsilon taken either before or after noise exposure can lessen the amount of noise exposure that you generally have. But again, it's the dosage. It's the exact number of milligrams that's so crucial. So if you do hear about these chemical earmuffs or pharmaceuticals, your first question will be, what's the dose? And if they can't give you that information, run away. But, but this stuff is coming through the FDA and through other routes um, uh, as well. That can be very useful for us. For everyone. So, Kaylee, what kind of uh, techniques or, pre or prevention tips do you give out uh, when you're doing outreach for musicians as far as trying to help uh, with hearing loss? What are the key points that you uh, make every time you present? Um, you know, like just protecting your ears from noisy environments, like Dr. Marshall mentioned, you know, you listen to your favorite song at a loud volume next song lower it. Um, we do hand out earplugs to encourage um, artists to protect their ears that way. We have those silicone ones um, that can hang around your neck. Are there any programs that you uh, work with, uh, with musician, musicians on who suffer from tinnitus? Well, like I said, we're going to be starting the workshop, so we're in the planning phases of that. So at the moment, okay. I'm um, working with the audiologist at the New Orleans Speech and Hearing Center. Um, I'm speaking to audio and sound engineers, and I'm speaking with local musicians to curate um, a course. Okay. And then, Marshall, are you doing, uh, what, what can people do to help with tinnitus? And, uh, like, are there anything you can take supplement wise? Are there things, like, what other, what other 
uh, methods are, do you have to help people with tinnitus? Well, that's a two-pronged answer. There's two flavors of tinnitus or tinnitus when it comes to musicians. There's the tinnitus that you get when you have a significant hearing loss. Maybe you've been drumming for 40 years and you happen to be in your 60s or 70s, uh, um, and you, you do have a significant hearing loss. And hearing aids have really improved a lot in, ter in terms of helping to mask out the, the tinnitus. In fact, 56% of people that have tinnitus that also have a significant hearing loss get significant re uh, re uh, release or at least help partial masking from the, for the tinnitus. So that's one flavor. The other flavor you get with, with musicians that are younger that have essentially normal or near normal hearing is a whole different animal, despite the fact that they may call it tinnitus or tinnitus or noises in the ears. And that actually has more is more related to stress. Now, stress is not something airy-fairy. Uh, I know, I remember in the 1960s, I was a kid then, but I certainly remember the headlines in the newspaper, stress, the big killer. And they were talking about how it can affect your heart and your kidneys and your liver and everything. But actually in 2009, more than a decade ago now, an interesting article came out that delineated the effects of stress. And the short form is that when you're stressed, there's high levels of cortisol that are emitted from your adrenal glands. Cortisol is a very, very interesting molecule. Is It's one of the very few that can cross from the body into the brain, can cross the blood-brain barrier. And mm -hmm. what's in the brain that facilitates changes, not directly, but indirectly, and it facilitates something called high levels of glutamate. Now, we may not have heard of glutamate before, but it's like dopamine and serotonin. It's the things that make the nerves work. It turns out that high levels of glutamate are toxic to the, uh, to the hearing mechanism. Mm. So at the smallest, smallest molecular level, the effects of loud noise or loud music are identical to the effects of high levels of stress. Tinnitus mm. is one of the side effects of that. So stress reduction techniques have been one of the greatest things we could do to mitigate the bothersome effects of ringing or buzzing in the ears for those that have relatively normal or near normal hearing. Also, I'm Canadian. In Canada, um, marijuana is allowed. Now, marijuana is made up of two elements, the THC, which, which essentially is the, what stones you out, and there's no medical benefit to that at all. And then there's the CBD or the cannabinoid. And there is some potential benefit medically for that as well. Mm -hmm. And it's shown at research at the Musicians Clinics of Canada and also presented at organizations like PAMA, the Performing Arts Medical Association, that high levels of cannabinoid, 30 or 40 milligrams a dose, as long as you keep the THC, the bad stuff, the stony stuff, really very low, less than two and a half milligrams per dose, that can actually allow the musician to sleep deeper, longer, and generally become less stressed, which has positive effects on reducing the amount or the annoyance of the tinnitus. So it's a two-pronged element. Are there any supplements on the market that are being used to help with this? To my knowledge, it's it's only the 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 um, the CBD that's available in Canada. Okay. I know in the states. Um, gotcha. 
LNAC may be useful for some people, but again, we don't really know the dosage of the LNAC. Okay. And then what? We'll go, uh, yeah. Um, I think uh, cordyceps mushrooms uh, also help too. Cordyceps, okay. Yeah, I've uh, I've tried them before, uh, and I felt that it uh, really like helped lower like uh, tendonitis and stuff like that. At least in my ears, personally, I don't know if there's actual study or anything out on it like that. But I know cordyceps uh, helped with me, and I've heard it yeah, works. Yeah, also with, at sorry at the uh, uh, pharmacies here in town. There's bioflavonoids now that they market towards. Uh, tinnitus as well. I have no clue if there's any research to support that, but it's actually on the shelves now too. So I'm not sure if you guys have heard about that at all. There are There is research about flavonoids, but almost all the research is done on men, very little on, on women. And so uh, some of the young ear, nose, and throat doctors graduating from school now are really on the bandwagon with flavonoids for their male patients. Hmm. They don't really know how it works, but it does seem to work in some cases. Okay. By reestablishing the, the proper chemistry of the cochlea, of the inner ear. But again, all the research has been done with men, uh, very little with women. It's one of those sexist societal uh, oopses that occurred. So we have severe tinnitus. tinnitus. Um, what other, what, uh, so how? What can be done at that point? You have some people who have like just constant roaring. Um, they're really having, it's, it's disabling their life. They have a very difficult time functioning. What kind of more advanced uh, things are uh, clinics doing to help people? Um, there is a, there are a series of treatments for people that have uh, significant tinnitus and hearing loss together. Um, they have different names. One of them is called tinnitus retraining therapy or TRT for short. Another form of that is neuromonics, which is the same thing only with shaped noise. So they wear what looks like hearing aids, but they're actually maskers. They emit certain sounds in the ear, but the trick is to have what they call a mixing level. That is the, 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 the masking noise has to be sufficiently loud but not too loud, such that the person in a quiet place can no longer hear their tinnitus. They should hear their tinnitus, but a little bit of basking noise. And over time, the amount of noise that is required as the brain gets used to receiving the input is less and less and less. It's not a cure for the tinnitus, but it is a treatment that reduces it from maybe a very severe level to a more mild level. Uh, usually this is coupled by cognitive therapy, uh, stress reduction techniques, and it's quite debatable whether it's the stress reduction or that is more important or the masking that's more important. Um, but I, I think stress reduction is a biggie. And that's one of the first questions I always ask my musician cl clinics uh, patients that have tinnitus. I say, what do you do for relaxation? And it doesn't have to be push-ups or sit-ups. Uh, although that's good, but it could be watching 1940s movies, whatever it is that, that cranks your chain. Um, so stress reduction is something that we're just looking into, but we do know that it really makes a difference, especially for those musicians that are coming with debilitating uh, tinnitus and, and sleep deprivation issues. Uh, there is a, a doctor, Jennifer Gans in California, 
that started a mindfulness-based tinnitus stress reduction program. And we actually adopted the curriculum. Um, and one of our patients, musicians, community members um, benefited from it so much that he brought it to um, other folks in New Orleans and has been offering to volunteer to do it. Um, and then like, I try and give him money and he just ends up donating it back to the clinic. So it's hmm. he really cares about this program. Um, and it's, it's been evidently really beneficial to folks. So just wanted to highlight what Marshall was saying. Yes. Jennifer Gans, G A N S. She's, she's a psychologist. She's brilliant. Um, so it sounds like the World Health Organization has gotten involved because of how big this issue is around the world, right? Hearing loss um, affects billions of people around the world. And I guess my main question is for those who, so it sounds like New Orleans uh, Musicians Clinic has resources for people who may not have the funding for support, but it also has mental health resources as well. So Marshall and um, Ingoma, if you can share a little bit about some of the mental health challenges that come up for people with hearing loss, I assume a lot of it is not being able to, to hear your music, right? Not being able to follow along um, your day-to-day -day challenges. Like it, it, it gets stressful to for something that's so natural for the body. So it's, it's hard for someone to be able to hear. Um, are there any other challenges that come up from a mental health perspective? Well, uh, at the moment, I don't really know of exactly any, anybody dealing with mental health at the moment, but I do have one brother when I talk to him, he's like, yo man, I really, I really can't hear. Like, don't stop, you know, stop laughing. You know, and I'm like, I'm, you know, it's like, I'm not really laughing at you. I'm just kind of like, you know, like smiling, like, wow, you, you really deaf, bro? You, you know, you're a little younger than me, you know? So it's, it's concerning because this is a person I really consider like as my brother. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's very concerning. Um, and then I have another brother who just, you just in denial about it. You know, you're sitting there talking to him and he goes, huh? And I'm like, you didn't hear what I said? He's like, uh-uh. And I'm like, you know, then you go talking some more, then it's like, huh? And it's like, you really didn't hear what I, you know? So it's like, you try to talk to him about it, like, hey, bro, I think your hearing is going out, but you know, he's trying to deny denial about it. It's like, uh, brother, I was just talking to you. <laughs> you yeah. didn't hear me, you know? So I'm like, were you not paying attention or were you just, you just, just did not hear me at all, you know? So right. At least that's, you know, that's the two that I can actually, you know, at least talk about as far as at least the closest I know of like, you know, towards mm -hmm. mental health as far as the hearing loss goes. In both Canada and the United States, um, they've done surveys for musicians and on musicians. And the average salary of a musician in Canada is $16,000. The poverty wow. level in Canada is $22,000. So gig musicians have a major, major life stress in the sense that they cannot afford to live, especially in a large city where their gigs are. So, you know, they have to live in Toronto or Montreal or any of the larger cities. That's where the clubs are. 
yet the rent takes up 120% of their income in many cases. And so, and, and couple that with the fact that in North America, our society does not respect musicians. It, it, it's incredibly, incredibly difficult to go into music and, and, and have a life as a musician. Uh, and some handle it very well, but quite frankly, if my son wanted to become a musician, and I, I just about beat him up. I, I tried to sit on him. To, I wouldn't let him go out. Now, he is a musician. He's a composer, though. He's on the other side of it. But he, And finally, I said, you got to do what you got to do. And, and I'm, I'm fully in support of him being now. But as a parent, I knew the, this data, and I tried to dissuade him. I say, stay in school and become a computer scientist or something. But finally, as a father, I said, you got to follow your, your, your passion. And, and I'm fully in support of him now. I know that his friends that are other musicians, many of them, they don't sleep. They get in very, very late. Many of them maybe imbibe too much uh, alcohol or, or other drugs. Um, they are not well respected, and and they 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 can't make rent, uh, you know, half the time. And you know they, they don't eat well. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of social stresses on musicians. Uh, you know, I, I think. If as a society, we would remunerate them to the extent that they deserve and that to appreciate them to the extent that they, de that they should be, um, I think that would significantly reduce the mental stresses that are on musicians. It, it's, this is predictable that musicians should be stressed. I, I, perfectly understandable, but it's, it's really a, a, a massive tragedy. It's an awful tragedy. Uh, but that's the reality. Uh, musicians are not well paid, not well respected. And it's funny because COVID helped expose that when we have nothing to do and everybody shut down, what do we turn to for our sanity? It's performing arts, music, uh, shows, and the performing artists are, you know, two big industries on strike right now. Music industry is always fighting for proper, you know, proper payment. So it's a very strong point you make. So. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate the work that the New Orleans Music Musicians Clinic does. It's amazing work, Taylor. Uh, where can people go to get more resources, more information, how to reach out to you? If people want to get involved with the Musicians Clinic, they should definitely go to our website. We're always looking for volunteers, um, interns, folks to get involved. Well, people can definitely um, check out more information about Save Nova Sounds on our website. So if you go to New Orleans Musicians Clinic and you click under programs, um, we have a web page with a lot of resource information um, and tools that are available. Well, Kaylee, Dr. Chasen, Ngoma, Taylor. We really appreciate you being on the show today. We spent a lot of time going over a very important issue and I hope everything goes well for you guys in the future. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, for having thank us. you so much for having us. And that wraps up another episode. We'd like to thank our sponsor, School Health, again for supporting the show. And if you like what you hear, please click subscribe and leave a review. For Yasi Ansari, I'm Stephen Karaginas. This has been the Athletes and the Arts Podcast.